What's up? We're back. Welcome. Yeah, what's up? Cannabis Insider in episode two of this week. Real quick, before Javier Hase goes on his wonderful uh, news, uh, beautiful baritone lyric voice for us, uh, no. a ton of amazing interviews, guys. Uh, so Verano, uh, Jane Technologies, and oh my God, oh, Accelerant Manufacturing. We talked to all three of them on Tuesday. Uh, this week, we're releasing all of our interviews from uh, MJ Biz. Oh, yeah. All of our. Oh, so, yeah. So far, on Tuesday, we release Dutchie. And also, big news from Dutchie Ross and Zach stepped down, but you chatted with Ross uh, at MJ Biz. Mm -hmm. uh, investor awareness, really some good insights on MA and real estate. We also chatted with Rob Seekers from Polaris Equity Group. And then uh, yesterday, we released uh, Truly yeah. Boston Beer Company. And high tide. And high um, tide. And then I think today and tomorrow we have more videos that are being released. So, I, I mean, it's oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, tons of good content coming out, guys. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. What do you want us to be asking these executives? Right. That being said, I'm here with the one, the only Argentinian action figure, Javier Hase, <laughs> here to talk about some cannabis. What's up, brother? Doing great, doing great. Actually, talking about great content, Mr. Aaron Thomas, our producer. Are we ready to show one of the interviews that we did in, in at MJ Biz? It's a, it's an interesting one with exhibits. Can we take a quick look at that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, throw it up on the stream for you. Yep. With exhibits at MJ BizCon X. Tell us what you've been up to in the cannabis space. Um, right now, we just um, are expanding the, the brand Napalm. We're doing what we can um, to give back to the community. This is a culture, it's the long haul. So um, we've been working with a lot of people, working with expanding and making a lot of great relationships happen. So that's what we've been doing. Do you see the station <laughs> happening in the next few years? <laughs> Even if it does, it doesn't mean that it's gonna be the end all be all of our magic, you know, a magic solution to all of our things that we're trying to build with this well so we're making a lot of leeway and a lot of headway when it comes to um figuring out where cannabis lands it's not like alcohol it's not like clothing it is based on a culture and you can't just throw money at it and a lot of people that are coming in from big pharma are going to learn that the hard way but um mm -hmm. it's been able to uh give us some real insight on what that means and we're willing to work with people that, that want to stabilize this, but it's overtaxed. Um, there is a lot of things that are happening in California that shouldn't be duplicated across the country. Um, but everybody's kind of coming into their own. I'm excited about the, the emerging East Coast market. I'm excited about New York coming online. Um, some people are there already, uh, but until they fix it and come with a, a standardized uh, regulation for cannabis, the legacy market is going to continue to thrive. It's not going to be a stable market for anyone, and uh, it's going to continue. But as you can see, this, this doesn't stop it from growing. You know, we're still here. Last one. What, uh, what is next for, for Napalm? What's next for Napalm? Um, dabs. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just leaves. <laughs> the man gave it to us. Honestly, great, short, sweet, awesome interview. And boy, is he right. No safe banking bill is this end-all, be-all magic solution. Federal regulation is just the start. Uh, I mean, well said. An awesome interview, Abby. It was fun. It was a. Here's a good question from the chat. Actually, some shout-outs from the chat today. It's very active. 
Shout out to Rusticale, Travis Owens, Charles Benson, Chris Larson, Melanie Hutchison, uh, Joe Donnelly. Um, here, Chris Larson is asking, how do you guys feel about a constitutional amendment forcing Congress to end the prohibition? Uh, I would love that. I, I, I don't know if it's possible. You know, uh, I'm sure it's easier to pass a law than, than to do a full constitutional amendment. Um, but I would love to hear what you, Elliot, think and why Chris is asking this question. Like, what, where, Listen, does, where does the question come from? I can fake it till I make it about a lot of things. I cannot fake it till I make it about how that would happen. So, Chris, if you want to actually drop in the chat, man, what you're thinking, I'd be interested in, in reading it and hearing more from you, man. Uh, sounds very interesting. Joe Donnelly, my man, CFC Mosaic Construction. Uh, awesome to see you in the chat. Rusty Kale, welcome back. Uh, awesome. We have a really cool show today. Javi, a lot of things happening in Nevada mm -hmm. today. I thought we should call out the, the home of MJ BizCon uh, in Vegas. We saw some consumption lounge licenses go out uh, from their lottery. Mm -hmm. Note from that, I didn't see Planet 13. And those, it is a lottery, so it has nothing to do with um, a guarantee or, or anything like that. But a lot of the bigger players, I didn't really see included in there. So just a note, that being said, they did have 10 social equity licenses and mm -hmm. 20 established retail businesses that got it. And then 10 more, I think. Yeah, just 40, 40 licenses in total. Yeah. Very interesting. And I, and I like that, how, how they did that, that little division, right? Like, okay, yeah. we, we'll do half of the licenses for operating businesses that have already proven themselves, 10 for social equity and 10 for like new entrants, right? So that you can keep the market diverse uh, while at the same time ensuring that at least 20 or 30 of these licenses will be working correctly, right? They, they establish operators and the social equity operators. Um, mm -hmm. I'm I, sure we'll get it right. Another thing to mention about Nevada, which I think is just honestly a, a small snippet of what we're probably seeing behind the scenes nationwide. The Nevada Board of Pharmacy is appealing a court decision ruling, uh, a court decision mm -hmm. ruling its classification of marijuana as a Schedule One drug is unconstitutional. So first of all, that court ruling was right on. Well done to that court. I think it's the 8th District or whatever. Uh, but the Nevada Board of Pharmacy fighting it. Pharmaceutical industry is fighting it. Uh, fighting marijuana. Uh, no surprise there. Very interesting stuff. You know what, what also, uh, here's another news item that I found very interesting. There is a, a new way to, to measure DUIs for cannabis uh, and it's an eye scanner. So this company called Gaze, it's a Montana-based company, uh, developed a device that can scan users' eyes to detect if they're driving under the influence of cannabis. The uh, oh. founder of this company, Kent Fitchler, I think it's, yeah, oh, yeah, well, whatever. The founder of Case quickly came out and said, like, the first thing he said is, I preface all of this by saying I am in favor of legalizing cannabis. I'm doing this because I see a clear need at the federal level to have some product to detect spoilage so that we can keep the roads safe. But you know how he felt the need to go, like, just in case, I'm not anti-cannabis. I'm just I mean, pro safety. A lot of these tech, they're, they're positioning themselves as technology companies within the industry, which is the interesting part. There's another one that's international that, that was doing the same thing where they were actually, it was to come down from a high was their technology mm -hmm. that they were selling to hospitals for people who got too high. Um, so, I mean, these companies are actually, they're speaking at cannabis events 
they're they're in there with the cannabis crowd, uh, but it, yeah. they feel that it's technology that furthers the industry and furthers the regulation normalization of the industry. But here, here's the thing, and these are a, a bunch of valid questions in the chat, right? How long do they consider you being under the influence? That will be determined by the law. It isn't just yet. I think in most jurisdictions. Um, I, I, another one says, Rusty Kale says, uh, how accurate is this this device? It will be probably pretty accurate. If not, the government will not implement it. The one caveat for this is, can it differentiate between THC consumption levels, right? And how do you treat medical cannabis patients, right? Do you have to choose between driving to work and taking your medication? You would never tell someone they can't drive under the influence of insulin. Now, where is the line, you know, between road safety and personal rights? Brings me, brings you to an interesting point about, I mean, about what do you compare it to? Is it medicine or, or do you compare it to alcohol? I mean, do you see that study that came out from uh, William Patterson University? Uh, super interesting about how they compared it in 10 states between 2010 and 2019 that had decriminalized marijuana. Adults aged 18 to 24, uh, alcohol use increased 6%. Now, I don't think I got all the variables, but I hope there's a yeah. S ton of variables in this study. Otherwise, it's mute. It's mute. No, it, it's opinion. not. So, so the, the the they're clear that it's like we, we know this very well. Correlation does not mean causation, right? The they don't fact say that, that, in that article, though, they don't say it. Like, I, I mean, I'm just I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like they're presenting this strictly, and the headline was it causes increased alcohol use when cannabis is decriminalized. Let's see about this. Someone is getting in trouble. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All I'm saying is, you know, just like how do you how do you look at it when when you look at what you compare it to? I feel like they're going to regulate it similarly to alcohol. You know, not they're not going to regulate it similarly to insulin. Well, that's not great. To be very honest and being fair to cannabis, medical cannabis patients. I must say, right? you right. cannot say. I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. I'm not saying it's probably going to be what happens. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I agree. I'm just saying it, it will be a highly disappointing result for sure, like a, a disappointing outcome. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Javier, what's happening? What Rapid are, fire. Rapid fire. Yeah, let's do it. Minute. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, one minute. Very interesting article about a Swiss uh, cannabis company called Alpen by Nicolás José Rodríguez. Go to benzinga.com slash cannabis to find out what this company is doing. From Qatar, interesting news as an Argentine NGO called uh, Argentine Cannabis Confederation uh, brought a flag for their cannabis advocacy group to the stadium for every Argentina match. And it was the largest flag, flag in the stadium. So the photos are pretty impressive. And in a country where they're not pro-cannabis at all. So <laughs> some interesting news. Um, legal sales, uh, legal cannabis turned 10 years old in Colorado. Still a lot to learn, by, but the sky hasn't fallen and positive <laughs> results abound. Go to benzinga.com slash cannabis to read this awesome article by Maureen Meehan, our talented and humor humorous editor. Um, and a couple more that I just think it's, it's interesting to, to highlight. One is pop culture, why ayahuasca is Miley Cyrus's favorite substance and how it supported her veganism. 
And a very fun story out of Mexico where they caught a big drug lord, and I mean big, big drug lord, one like a cartel head, uh, because he appeared in a music video. There's this um, genre of music in, in Mexico called narco corrido, and it's songs about narcos and 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 criminal organizations in the drug space, uh, and they just like uh, you know just uh, show off their their feats and their money. In this in this genre, and and this guy was so vain. They called him El YouTuber, and they found El YouTuber because he showed up in a music video on YouTube like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say he probably didn't think they'd be monitoring the music videos. Although, oh yes, they are. It is I, very well known. This is this is something that's like this is a twenty year old musical phenomenon, right? They know. I have no idea. About this that. is not the first time this happened. Yeah, maybe I'm uneducated about it. That's that's honestly hysterical, though. Honest, you did so much, and you you were reigning over an empire of of sin stocks, and you get caught from a music video. I mean, that's just irony at its finest. That being said, Javi, I got to cut your one minute off. You went three minutes. Uh, we have to let's get go to our first interview. Aaron Thomas, please send over our guest. There he is, Andrew Wilson, Grower IQ, CEO. What's going on, my friend? How are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm great. How about you? Oh, we're good, man. We're good. Thrilled yeah. to dive a little bit more into the tech side, into the non-plant touching side. Tell us about you, man. What's going on? What are you doing over at Grower IQ? Absolutely. Yeah, well, Grower IQ handles the operations for licensed producers around the world. It's, uh, you know, everything from the seed uh, planting through to processing, through harvest, through sale. Uh, all of that, every single step needs to be tracked. And it just, you know, as you can imagine, gets really complicated on on paper or manual. And so Grower IQ comes in and, and the idea is to make it a lot simpler using tech. I got to I gotta ask here. And then Javi, uh, you can do a couple Two. in a row. So ERP is very centric on regulations, right? You track in a certain way based on the market you're in. So... I mean, doing it in different states is enough challenge as it is in the U.S., but doing it in markets around the world, I mean, you have to know a lot about a lot, mm -hmm. right? How, how do you guys keep up with that? Yeah, it's it, it can be a challenge. And, you know, you, you I mean, you know more than anyone, really, the the pace of change, right? The things we've seen about, about Germany, about Czech Republic, about, you know, all of the... We're, we're getting tons of interesting uh, inbound from places like Argentina and Ecuador and... Um, there you go. Yeah. So it, it, it can be a challenge. I think the really exciting part is that our platform was designed to the Canadian, like a federal standard in the first place. And in many respects, other jurisdictions could sort of used a federal model when kind of implementing or taking ideas to their own jurisdictions. So that makes our job a little bit easier. Um, and, and, and other than that, it's, it's having great partners on the ground, great customers who keep their ear to uh, the ground for any kind of regulatory change. And uh, through that network, we sort of hear how things go and, and can adjust really quickly that way. I'm curious, how many patients, okay, I'm sorry, patients, not clients, do you have in, in Latin America, right? Because I see you're only active in Ecuador at the time, but when I Google you being in Argentina, I get a couple of results in English. The third one is in Spanish, and I love that. <laughs> because most companies in the space are not catering to Latino audiences at all. Mm -hmm. Even those companies operating and even selling products in states like California, Texas, Florida, 
uh, where like there's millions of people who speak Spanish as a first language. So like how many how many clients do you have in, in, in Ecuador or the rest of Latin America? And, and, and when do you choose to take that leap toward also, you know, doing like Spanish content and your Spanish website and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. I mean, I, I think I'm a little biased because I, I me encanta el español. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we translated the entire platform. We, we have the entire platform. We have all of our articles, all of our content. We've got a team in Colombia that handles most of our kind of Latin America and inbound. Um, so, yeah, we just we just exhibited at, at uh, Expo Mediweed this weekend um down in Medellin and so yeah I think I think that's that's kind of table stakes. We, we view it as table stakes let's let's get uh into the local jurisdictions speak their language have local support have that that comfort level I think is is really important in in Latin America kind of from a societal sort of cultural perspective we always hear the question who do you have on the ground who can help me uh and so I think that's our our approach it's a little bit different than others it's very um, you know, customer service oriented is is how we want to differentiate ourselves. Yeah, there must be a lot of data, right, uh, with, with the companies that you work with. So, I mean, are you seeing a lot of companies expand internationally with who you work with? And actually, I, before you answer that question, I'd love to to know what, what's the breadth? Like, how many companies do you work with, and or can you tell us a little bit more about the depth uh, of your clientele? Yeah, yeah, we're I mean, it grows so quickly, you know, we're in 14 countries right now, everything from micro licenses, all the way through to uh, large public companies, big producers. Um, so I think that the, the breadth is is there. It's it's really interesting and different license types across different jurisdictions as well. So that can make make things really interesting. Um, you know, for all, what we do is we have modules for every team. So if, for example, you're perhaps not doing cultivation, you're doing processing, then perhaps you wouldn't use the Grow IQ cultivation module, you would use like warehouse and processing and CRM and, and the quality management system. Um, <clears throat> and so I think that's how we handle different types of clients with, uh, uh, with, uh, with the same tool. Mm -hmm. And then internationally, do you see a lot of companies using you across country lines, across borders, uh, or do you see it pretty, pretty staying at home right now? Yeah, no, I think I think one of the really, you know, our top markets are, are um, certainly we have good, good presence in Latin America, but I think, you know, South Africa, I think Portugal, um, you know, a number of different key cannabis hotspots around the world. Uh, South Africa, for example, almost all of them have a business model predicated on access to Europe. And so a lot of that, that production, the, the production standards, the quality that they want to follow it, it has to be GMP, it has to be EU GMP in order to gain access into Europe. And so uh, many of those folks, they have operations in South Africa or they have operations in, in Portugal as well. And, and because of that international model and, and our international model, we're able to serve local jurisdictions in both places. And you can kind of swap between your sites and your facilities uh, pretty easily. Why, why, why do you choose to to have such a big international focus when you know most companies are on the show are always telling us like I mean the U.S. is a big enough opportunity to be you know focusing on other on other places. So what, what's different for Grower IQ? Yeah, it's because everybody said that. <laughs> you I know, I mean, <laughs> I think you know it's that. I think we have a really international mindset. We're in Canada. We started in Canada. We have an international mindset. It's uh, you know many of our team members are are around the world. Our team is global. And, and so I think we have a bit of a different perspective and we try to use that and bring that to the company and, and to our, our, the clients that we serve. 
and and I think it's really found an interesting niche, right? Because because if no other groups are thinking this way, then uh, we're really uniquely positioned to help serve them in a really great way. Can you talk to us a little bit? You mentioned Germany earlier. Uh, what's your perspective of what they're rolling out there? Uh, talk to us a little bit about what that industry is going to look like on the operational side. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's I mean, it's exciting. You know, things happen in, in Germany. And I, I believe our website is sort of a bit of a leading indicator. <laughs> you know, something happens in Germany and we get 10,000 people come to the site all of a sudden. <laughs> and <coughs> excuse me. And so I think it's really a really exciting. There are exciting developments. The way that they're planning the model, I think, is is uh, they're planning ahead. They're they're being smart about incorporating different stakeholders. You know, I think we've we've seen this sort of announcement um, ahead of time, which is exciting. It's progress in itself. However, it's not a law. It's not legislation. It's not it's not making a, a fundamental change in the market at the moment. Um, but it's such a huge step. And, you know, the, given the economic engine that Germany is, where Germany goes, in many respects, goes the rest of Europe. Mm-hmm. And and as a block, right, it, it can be and, and is primed to be a really incredible player on the global stage cannabis market. I'm trying to, to better understand the product, right? Because uh, it, it's not a seat to sell tracking. It's it's not for legal purposes, right? It's to increase productivity, to include increase yields. Uh, can you explain a little bit more on, on, on that front? Like what, what what is an ERP in general for those who don't know? And and then how are you, how is a cannabis ERP different? Sure. Because I'm, I'm looking at it and it's totally different from like whatever they like the ERP I use for a blunt there, a Latin American outlet. It's like, I use an ERP that is like a basic corporate ERP, right? Yep. Tracking salaries and expenses. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, it's a really great question. I think we started from the perspective of just regulatory compliance started in health Canada with, with in Canada for health Canada, the just incredible, you know, thousands of columns of data that they ask for uh, on reporting every single month. So we designed a tool that has compliance at its core, right, from the regulatory perspective. And then what we did was we built on modules for every single team to help get at that sort of higher level function that you were talking about, business improvement, analysis, data, uh, A-B testing your, your business across multiple facets in order to improve. I'm going to ask you something super specific. Um, and I, I don't know if you have the answer to this offhand, but I am very curious. Yeah. I also think it until I make it. Yeah, there we go. I'm talking. <laughs> uh, so in all the countries that you work in, is there one where you see the yields coming from this country, the cultivations in this country tend to be stronger than others? The, the plants produced tend to be stronger uh, on a more consistent level. Oh, that's so tricky to say. I think the different, the challenge is that there are a, just like so many incredible producers within each market, right? It's a variety of, uh, the, the production practices, the team that they have, the environmental conditions and how well things go. So I think we see a total range, a total okay. range. And, and it depends the on environmental the specific side. producer. Yeah, I was trying to get to the Columbia versus Canada grow. Yeah, uh, you yeah, know, and I know that it's the emails from all our customers. Touche, <laughs> <laughs> touche. You should have said South Africa. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah. That being said, anything else you feel we should know about the international markets? You know, as we move into 2023, we're all very, very focused here on the U.S., right? 
So for, for legislative reasons, uh, among anything else, um, you know, but it's also just been a tough time financially for a lot of companies in this space. But as we look at possible expansions, once this downturn ends and starts to go back up, what should we keep an eye on internationally? Mm -hmm. Oh, there, there are so many exciting places. I mean, <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> I think new jurisdictions coming online all the time. Um, we're seeing just, just tons of, of interest from say Mexico, right? Mexico where, where, uh, there are groups that are trying to sort of get in early, uh, understand the regulatory framework environment, kind of be first to market. There's such a huge like 120 million people in, uh, in the country, such a huge market. It's going to be tons of, of product required. So, you know, I think, I think like you were saying about some of the states and, and what Exhibit referenced about the evolution of the regs is, I think we've seen that. We've seen it play out in Canada. We've seen it play out in, in many jurisdictions is there's a total life cycle flow that happens where each new jurisdiction comes and, and evolves. And, and hopefully the stakeholders are responsible enough to, and the regu regulators responsible enough to, to absorb that feedback and continuously improve. So... I think we're right at the start of something exciting and you you know we I, we follow Benzinga religiously over here and you just can't open up the the portal uh, you know the platform without seeing news about new exciting jurisdictions coming online so we're right here in the right moment awesome well that Sorry, being Dave. said Andrew Wilson CEO of Grower IQ very much appreciate you being on and honestly looking this forward to, to doing this again man uh keeping up with yeah, what's man. happening internationally you, and you got to come back soon and tell us a little bit about the raise i know you raised three million dollars we wanted to talk about that but we got so sidetracked with international <laughs> which is like the best outcome for me so <laughs> we'll see you again soon yeah episode it was a two. it was a pleasure yeah thank you, you man Awesome. Very cool. Honestly, I'm sorry. I got a sidetrack there, but I'm, it, it's something no, that, that was we, perfect. Who we cares? sometimes think is... about that, you know? Yeah, we, we, sh we should call it the Cannabis Insider Sidetrack Show. The Sidetrack Show. Awesome. Well, that being said, we're going to keep it rolling here, y'all. Thank you for sticking with us. Also, Ace, you made me laugh. I was trying to hold it in. Maybe if SBF used cannabis instead of meth, we wouldn't be in this poop show right now. Uh, <laughs> if only, man. Uh, that being said, let's bring over our next guest, James Whitcomb of Frontier Risk. Welcome in. Welcome in. How are you, James? Good. What's going on? I want to start by saying I, I am not a meth user as a segue from that last comment. So. Yeah. Ooh, well, so boring. You know? Yeah. Get <laughs> off the stage. Come yeah. on, man. Yeah, exactly. So, James, I mean, talk to us, man. Like, how'd you get into cannabis? What's going on? Yeah. Well, I uh, I was one of the early team members at what was then called Certera, which won one of the original five licenses in Florida. Uh, yep. Name a while later to Parallel. Uh, grew the company to what I guess is still the largest private MSO out there. Uh, and I spent the last year I was there, I was there for six years, spent the last year running it as CEO and chairman and uh, tried to make a name for myself by being sort of like anti-MSO gang. Um, a lot of social equity initiatives, just, you know, really eat, sleep and breathe the space. And Frankly, I, I got into the business I'm in now because every single year when our insurance renewals came up, they just kept getting worse and worse. Uh, certain carriers were to exit the market. So we're, we're here to try to solve the insurance problem in cannabis. 
you, you, one of your claims is, you know, cannabis insurance doesn't make sense. Please elaborate. It's a strong statement, which I agree with, to be very clear, but <laughs> please elaborate. Yeah, well, I, it, it, I think it's a little bit hard to argue with. I mean, those who have tried to apply for it and the rates they've gotten, you know, probably feel the same way. It doesn't make sense because it's too expensive. The limits are too low. And the laundry list of exclusions in these policies, you know, in some cases excludes the very core business activities that these cannabis companies are actually doing. And it begs the question, why are these companies even buying these policies in the first place if they don't cover, you know, what you're trying to do or if the coverage isn't adequate? Uh, and the answer is for a lot of these lines, they're required, you know, at the state level uh, legally. Um, and then as you get bigger and bigger, there, there are market forces, capital market forces that require you to have certain other lines of coverage like directors and officers insurance and things like that. Uh, so it doesn't make sense because it's overpriced and, and the coverage is inadequate. I would argue the entire cannabis industry is underinsured by a magnitude of five to 10 times. Can I, can I interject here just quick? So we've had um, a few insurance experts on over the past few months. Um, you know, I don't need to name names, but every time there's one line that keeps coming up and it's, you know, we help you find the holes in your insurance. We help you find the gaps. We help you fill those. And I'm just curious. I feel like I hear that from every insurance provider. Who is giving this insurance that has all these holes in it? Like, where is it coming from if every insurance provider is the one fixing that issue and the holes? And I know it's a silly question, but it's, it's a great like, question. Like, I'm just curious, how did we get here? Yeah, how did we get? Well, so I think there are two questions in that. So first of all, you know, and I, I, I follow the show, but I, I can't remember which insurance experts you had on. I'm, I'm a cannabis expert that's learning to be an insurance expert. And my approach is I'm, I'm not here to help you find the holes. I, I, I know there are holes. I don't, you know, you don't need me to tell you that. Um, there are incumbent, you know, large carriers in there and reinsurance players. And, you know, I, I think the reason we got here is, is really twofold. First of all, if you're a hundred year old insurance company with a $30 billion balance sheet and your general counsel is kind of telling you, well, I think this is above board, but I can't really chisel that in stone. Are you going to really risk your legacy business on a foray into this space? when it's not totally clear. It's clear to me the way I interpret mm -hmm. it was. And, the, and that's the reason why a lot of big law firms and now banks are, are getting involved in the space on the investment banking side. They interpret it the same way. Um, the, the second reason in terms of how we got here is, let's not forget, insurance is an industry that is based on historical data to predict the probability of future events occurring. In a new industry, it's kind of hard to have a long track record of you know, historical data where your actuarial consultant can you know, put on like the clear visor and type up and get those actual actuarial models going. But, but the reality is there is data in cannabis, right? Uh, listening to Andrew talk, your, your last guest, you know, he's, he's, he's doing it, right? I mean, he's providing a lot of different touch points you know, that, that all together form an ERP system. If we can take that, and show it to the reinsurers and say, hey, this part of the value chain that you thought was really risky, you actually don't really understand it. We do, because we're operators. Like I've, I've seen C1D1 rooms blow up in extraction, right? I've seen crops die uh, you know, because of certain pests. I've seen mm -hmm. certain events take off single layer polyurethane, single layer polyurethane roofs and 
in grow houses, but not double layer, right? And I've seen workers' comp claims win or get settled because of the fact that they followed published SOPs or not. So we can take all that data and we can say it to the reinsurer. We, we can we can tell the reinsurers, hey, this isn't as risky as you think, and therefore your pricing ought to come down. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up reinsurers because that was my following question. What is the importance of, rein, like, of reinsurance participants for for any insurance space and especially for, for cannabis, right? I, I tend to understand reinsurance as an investment. Uh, I like it because it's, it's counter cyclical or non-cyclical. It does not respond to to market volatility, but it's... I don't fully understand why it would be important for the industry or for an insurance provider. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's everything, quite frankly, because they are the capacity providers. And, and let's let's go back to your first question, right, where you may have had some folks on the show to, that, that say, we're going to help you find the gaps in your policies. Well, they, they may just be brokers, right? And brokers, what they do is they go and bid out your 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 submission to several different capacity markets, like whether those are carriers with balance sheets that can underwrite the risk or whether they're reinsurance vehicles. And with probably probably the biggest reason other than the other two I mentioned in terms of why we're here is because there is no capacity, right? There, there is not enough balance sheet capacity to underwrite the liabilities uh, that the cannabis industry is serving up. So the, the key to normalizing this industry is to get more and more reinsurers who are right on the fence, but don't quite understand it or haven't convinced their general counsel or board of directors to jump into the space, bringing those people in. And it's like any other market. When there's competition, prices will drop. Cannabis, you know, quite frankly, my observation, being in it for better part of a decade now, it's a lot of guys and gals sitting in a circle saying, this is a commodity that will never be commoditized. They're wrong. They're totally wrong, right? That's why that's why a lot of what's happened in the industry has happened, especially in the last two or three years. Everyone's feeling the hurt. Uh, it's the same thing for insurance. A lot of people are saying capacity will never come into the space. They'll never get it. It's not true. There's 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 too much demand. They're gonna come in, but they need to be educated on what is fundamentally risky and not risky in a cannabis supply chain. Diving more into your business. Uh, you know, you're you're going into a pretty heavy business in insurance, and honestly, you're taking on a problem and you're offering a solution, which may not be the case with what I'm about to say. Would you consider uh, starting to insure other industries, other sectors, other related uh, types of businesses, agriculture maybe? I'm, I'm curious from your business standpoint um, what you're looking at there. Yeah, look, I mean, we're, we're really interested in psychedelics also. Um, you know, I, I think psychedelics are moving at a pace that fits better into a federal framework, uh, and that may happen more quickly than cannabis fitting into a federal framework. And I, I don't just mean that from a U.S.-centric perspective. Um, there's a lot of good work being done in Europe where, you know, th this stuff will be normalized and regulated at the European federal level. Um, I think would venture to say it's going to be a close call, whether, you know, psychedelics, let's be specific, like psilocybin, ketamine, et cetera, will be federally regulated in the U.S., you know, before cannabis. Like at this rate, it's going to be close, right, just given all the clinical research going on. And I think our team is one that has a lot of experience in regulated industries. And, you know, 
politics is in our DNA in terms of forecasting what's going to break when um, and what's going to be built when and regulated when. And so I, I think we're decently equipped to tackle psychedelics and there's a huge need there as well. But that that pricing asymmetry that we see in cannabis insurance may not exist in psychedelics because of what I just said, because it may be federally regulated first. Something's federally regulated first and federally legal, then regular way insurance companies can kind of dive in without our help, um, or at least not as much help as they're going to need for cannabis. So we'll see. You talked international, and, and this is, I think, my last question. Um, you know, let, let's circle back to to the discussion that we were having with with uh, Andrew before this. Um, do you consider any international opportunities? Are you already active in any international markets? What are the complexities, right? Because taking a technology, right, like like the one we we're discussing, right, like a few minutes ago, it's translating it, adapting it a little bit, but for insurance, the framework, the legal framework, the regulations are very, very different. So, I mean, what are you doing internationally? Do you have any plans for international and, and what are the complexities involved in all that? Yeah, look, we're, we're U.S. focused for now. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, different sell side equity research has differing opinions on when the European market's going to be bigger than the U.S. market, whether you think it's 29 or 30 or 35. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think the space we can play in is is educating about what's risky in a value chain. Like I said before, I mean, if, if we talk internationally again, anytime you talk international, you're, you're dealing with like an automatically federal framework, which makes it easier for insurers to touch the space. That doesn't mean that they have the historical or current data on like what we call loss runs historical loss runs, you know, to be able to more accurately predict whether or not they're going to take a loss on a policy in the future. And so I, I think that's where we can bridge the gap. And I think there's an opportunity to do that in, in Europe. Um, really encouraged by by what I'm seeing in, in Germany. And I think any time countries like that take a much more clinical approach, all these things come down to decisions made at the, at, at the board of directors level. Anytime a country takes that kind of clinical approach, you know, with with evidence based research where there's more of that in Europe and frankly, a lot of international markets, even Thailand than the U.S., it's going to be easier for, you know, insurance executives and boards of directors to, to get a little bit True. more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's end with this question from the chat. Resta Kale have a good one here. What's the riskiest part of the supply chain for an insurer? Love that question. Let mm -hmm. me. Let, <laughs> All right. Well, here, here's here's what I'll say. When I was running parallel, um, every morning, my biggest fear was waking up to a text message where my COO might have hypothetically texted me, "Hey, this delivery driver in Florida, uh, you know, who's a full-time employee, a W-2 employee, because you're required to be vertically integrated." They went out on a delivery run, they were high, and God forbid, they ran over a family in a crosswalk, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 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 the nightmare scenario that any vertically integrated operator or anyone working in last mile, I, I, I think, has to deal with. And that's on top of where theft is really rampant, right, in, in home delivery. Um, we hear we hear a lot of these stories about dispensaries getting robbed and how safe banking can com combat that. 
last mile delivery just is inherently super risky. Number two, ex, you know, ex, extraction rooms, they, they blow up. It happens. So. Wow. I, I mean, both sound terrible, but honestly, yeah. great answers, man. And very, uh, it, it really puts into perspective uh, for us who haven't worked as an operator. Um, hobby just consumes a lot. But <laughs> no, I don't. Not a bit. I've grown more than I've consumed. And there you go. There you go. I don't know if I believe that. But James Whitcomb, CEO of Frontier Risk, thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate it, man. And the data driven aspect is something that I assume we're going to dive into a lot more in the future with you. But thank you again for your time. Right on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Be well. Awesome. You know I love the word data. So you you want to perpetuate? You want to perpetuate that myth that I consume a lot? Absolutely. I will get back to you or at <laughs> you, not to you. You get back to me about your consumption levels. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, Javi, honestly, man, listen, it. we're, we're in cannabis. Like, we're not going to light up on the show, but like, we are friendly oh, no. to consumption. Uh, do you? Oh, yeah. No, no, I have no problem with yeah. that. I have no problem with that. Yeah. That being but it's, said, it's, it's all about what is the right amount quantity dosing for you how you work how it works mm -hmm. for you uh for me personally for instance i cannot concentrate during the day if i smoke granted i'm talking about thc not necessarily like very low thc kind of kind of stuff which would be a different scenario mm -hmm. uh for me it's a it's a relaxation tool uh, I, I only enjoy it while in bed to be. You know who I like, think does a really good, not to cut you off, but who does a really good job of putting like on their products, like this is made to do this. This won't get you high, but it's supposed to make you chill and not fall asleep. This does this to Ooh. you. This is meant to give you super high is uh, Groom, uh, who actually Ooh. I think they're uh, Groom, G-R-O with an umlaut. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Grunk. So, I, I always call them Grunk, like yeah. Grunk. Apparently it's Grun, <laughs> so get it right. Uh, but they're an edibles company. Uh, they're a multi-state edibles player. Um, and I got to interview their CEO at MJ Biz. So that either came out today or come out tomorrow. Just check out the YouTube channel. Um, and we'll be releasing in our newsletter and such. I, tr I tried I tried the Grun edibles yeah. uh, in Chicago after a conference. They, they mm -hmm. gave me some and I love them. Yeah. Uh, but it was also that experience where I told you I just forgot I, I, I took an edible and just like an hour later I was sitting at a fancy <laughs> restaurant by myself at the bar just trying to figure out what was going on. I'm like, why do I feel drunk? I'm, I'm like, I literally just ordered one glass of wine and I took one sip and, <laughs> and I already am like tipsy. <laughs> Y'all know Javi just got mad at me for, for furthering the consumption game here. And this is the story. Nah, it's okay. uh, Javier, <laughs> love you, man. Honestly, two great interviews today. Very ancillary-based discussions, which very necessary uh, to build this industry in a normalized, regulated way. So thank you all for tuning in. Rest kill, great questions. Ace, thank you so much. Uh, Joe Donnelly, everybody who is in the chat, appreciate you guys. We will not be on next week, Tuesday, Thursday. We are hosting crypto and fintech events oh, yeah. in New York. Don't worry, SPF will us. not be there. Uh, that being said, if you're in New York, bz-crypto.com or bzawards.com for the two uh, events that we're hosting in New York City next week. That being said, we're back for one more week, I believe the 13th and the 15th of December, and then we're done for the year. 
and we'll be back in early January. But that being said, we're already filled with January guests, honestly, to the brim. So <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. People are like, hey, can I come on the show? It's like, no, nah, man, we're fully booked. Yeah, Let's share. look at February. Guys, share with your friends. We, we appreciate the share. Show us you shared it. I'll give you something. I'll give you some swag or, I don't know, a, a ticket to Miami or whatever. Um, I like that. Yeah, right? Uh, so with that being said, we got two more shows this year, 13th and 15th. Tune in 4 o'clock Eastern time. Javier Haas, anything you want to say? Benzinga.com slash cannabis for your daily dose of cannabis news. Don't forget, favorite us, uh, add us to your direct links, uh, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll try and make it easier and easier and easier for you to remember every day. Uh, if you think it would be helpful to have like a little icon on your phone that takes you directly to our Benzinga Cannabis landing, let us know. And we'll boom. Develop that for and you. And boom. Awesome. We're done, y'all. Have a great rest of your Thursday and weekend. We'll be